First Chronicles chapter 16. We interrupt our regularly scheduled sermon out of Hebrews chapter 11 to bring you this special presentation of thanksgiving. First Chronicles chapter 16. I was reminded when Scott was uh, leading our thoughts around the table, uh, he referenced uh, the word Eucharist. Um, that is a word that is used in reference to the Lord's Supper by some. Uh, and it does come from the Greek word charis, which means grace. Several years ago, I had the privilege of going to, uh, to Greece with uh, my friend and mentor. He was a missionary there for about nine years in the mid-70s to mid-80s. And um, he took me there. We went and um, went there for a purpose. But anyway... Um, when people say thank you in Greece, they say evkaristo. Um, when you take the word grace, charis, and then you put eu in front of it or epsilon, upsilon, uh, we say you, but they say ev. It's like an ev. And so instead of eucharist, they would say evkaristo. And so if someone did something nice for you or someone gave you something, the way that you would say thank you today in Greece would be to say evkaristo, Eucharist. It's a way of, of saying thank you, to give thanks. When we talk about saying grace uh, before a meal, uh, that's the word that they would have used, evkaristo. And so uh, we want to give thanks to the Lord today. We have so much for which to be thankful for, and I want us just to talk briefly about that uh, this morning. Um, there was a preacher named Dan Meyer uh, several years ago. He talked about the punctuation marks of life, and we, we mentioned that a little bit on, on Wednesday night in our class. Um, but he talks about how our lives are full of all of these different punctuation marks. Life is full of question marks, isn't it? Why do we park on driveways? and drive on parkways. So many questions that we have. Sometimes we get a little bit more serious and we, we say, why do, why do good things happen to bad people? Why do bad things happen to good people? Why do the righteous suffer? Life is full of mysteries. And I think it's only natural that we spend some of our time thinking about those kinds of things, looking for answers. But I think it would be really sad if the most vivid memories that my family had of me was if I went around just always asking, when are you going to make your bed? When are you going to clean up? What time is supper? How much is that going to cost me? Who's going to pay for all of this? Where's the remote control? Life can be marked with a great big comma. He did this, he did that, and then he went there, and then he went there, and then he did this, and then he did that. Meyer says if we're not careful, the defining mark of our lives can become a comma. We can become known as the people who are always moving on, always focused on the next acquisition, the next item on the to-do list, the next rung on the ladder. And obviously, there's a lot of stuff uh, that needs attention in our lives. 
But I don't think any of us want to be remembered as the guy who just went from this thing to that thing, flitted from here to there to there to there, and never really accomplished anything. Life can be punctuated with periods. It's really important for us from time to time to make a full stop and just sort of catch our breath and, and, and ponder some things. But it's tragic how some lives are overly marked by periods. Maybe you know somebody who had something really painful happen to them at some point in their lives. I think all of us, if, if we're honest with ourselves, we look back at our lives and there have been things that have happened to us. Sometimes tragic things have happened to us. Sometimes people have done things, they've perpetrated things upon us, and especially as a small child, you can put a period down and, it, and it, it's like your whole life stops. And then everything from that moment forward is marked by what has happened to you. And if we're honest, it leaves scars, scars that never go away, things that you will live with for the rest of your life. And I know what I'm talking about. I'm speaking from experience. There are things that happen that if you're not careful, you can put a great big period down on the page. And it's as if you can never write a clean, fresh, new sentence or paragraph because your life becomes marked by what happened. And it's as if God can't use you going forward. People get stuck. I know young people who've gotten stuck in their lives. I've known older people who've gotten stuck. It's as if a giant period has been put down on the page and everything is behind them. There's nothing good going forward. I wonder what the people close, closest to us would say is the punctuation mark that is most evident in our lives. Is it the question mark? Maybe it's the comma, the comma, the comma. Maybe it's just the full stop, period, that's it. But the truth is that every one of us has all of these things in our life, and if you think about it, the underlying theme behind all of it, at least in my opinion, my estimation, is, is discontent. Discontentment. I don't have what I'm looking for. Why, God? Why did you allow this to happen? Why me? Why here? Why now? I don't have what I'm supposed to have, so I have to keep going and going and going and searching and trying. I don't have the life I used to have. It's over. My life will never be the same now going forward. I can never get that back. Period. It's very easy to get caught up in a place of discontentment. And maybe that's especially true in our country right now. I, I, don't, know, I don't know exactly what it is. I, maybe I have some ideas, some thoughts. But it seems that so many in our country right now are so angry, <laughs> we're so depressed, we're so anxious. There's so much anxiety and fear and angst. There, there, there doesn't seem to be harmony 
or unity. It's almost as if everybody's walking around with a big chip on their shoulder, just almost daring someone, wanting someone to knock it off so that they can be angry about something. And so many people are, are so anxious. And I understand why at times when you look, when you look around, we're, we're worried. We're worried about, about our lives, that we're not going to be able to have our lives back, that things have changed and nothing is ever going to be the same again. We focus on all the things that are wrong, all the things that are so hard to fix. And that's why I want us this morning to make a choice purposefully, intentionally, to punctuate our lives with the exclamation point of thanksgiving. The exclamation of thanksgiving. And we're not the first ones that need this. If you're familiar at all with the storyline of the Israelites, then you know how much of their lives uh, were filled with all of these punctuation marks that we find in our lives the same way. They suffered more than enough to have plenty of questions. Why, God? Why are you leading in this direction? Why here? Why now? They journeyed on, and their lives were full of uh, seemingly this relentless series of, of battles and coming up against enemies and fortresses that seemed at times unconquerable. And sometimes it led them to deep despair and, and, and complaining. But if the Israelites had one saving discipline that kept them from going under, that was that time and again we see them stopping, stopping along the journey for a moment and purposely raising their eyes to heaven in order to give thanks to God. First Chronicles chapter 16. We get a picture of, of just such an exclamation point, if you will, in the life of Israel. Uh, by now, the, the reign of King Saul, the controversial reign of King Saul is over with. A young warrior by the name of David, he has uh, been... Uh, proclaimed king, he's been anointed king by designation and popular acclaim as well. He's led the Israelites in successful battles uh, against the, Phil the Philistines and the armies of Israel have captured the ancient city of Jerusalem. This was the crown jewel, if you will, of the land of Canaan. And now they've conquered this city. David orders that the Ark of the Covenant be brought this box containing the, the Ten Commandments. The Ark of the Covenant was to be brought up to the city of Jerusalem so that God could be reverenced there in the capital in this new kingdom. And David leads this procession, and he's even dancing. He's dancing with joy before the Lord because he's so excited. We don't have time to go back and read all of um, the story leading up to this, but they had recaptured the Ark of the Covenant. The Philistines had had, had that. They, they, they took it back in battle, and they were taking it up. And you remember that they were taking the Ark on, on an ox cart. And one of the ox stumbled, and because of that, it caused the Ark to, to begin to tip. And a man named Uzzah reached up to, to steady the Ark. And you remember what happened to him? The Lord struck him down. And so David was, was very angry about that, 
and they took the ark and they put it in the, the house of a man named Obed-Edom. And it stayed there for several months. And while the ark was in his house, God was blessing him. Everything was good for Obed-Edom. God was blessing him and uh, he and his family very richly. But now David decides, we're going to go and we're going to get the ark. We're going to bring it to Jerusalem. And we're going to, to do it the right way this time. We're going to have the Levites, the priests, they're going to carry it on poles the way God prescribed for them to do it. And so now that's where we are in the story. And they're bringing the ark up in verse, chapter 16, 1 Chronicles, verse 1, the word of the Lord. They brought the ark of God and set it inside the tent that David had pitched for it. And they presented burnt offerings and fellowship offerings before God. After David had finished sacrificing the burnt offerings and fellowship offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord. Then he gave a loaf of bread, a cake of dates, and a cake of raisins to each Israelite man and woman. And then he goes on to appoint members of the tribe of Levi. They become the official worship leaders of the people. And their job in verse 4 is to make petition, to give thanks, and to praise the Lord, the God of Israel. In other words, some of them were to name the prayer request, get all the prayer requests. Some of them are to list all the reasons that they can think of to be thankful for. And then the rest are to make music with lyres and harps and cymbals, and trumpets. You kind of get the picture, don't you? This is a massive Thanksgiving worship service. Everyone is being thankful to God. And it was at this Thanksgiving day in Israel that David spoke these now famous words. We just got through singing about them there in verse 34. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. What I want to underline this morning is that this sort of celebration was by then an ingrained tradition in the life of Israel. This wasn't a brand new thing. It wasn't always as grand as this. It wasn't always on this scale. But exclamation points like this are found all throughout the story of Israel up to this point. From time to time, they first fled the, uh, when they first fled the persecution of Egypt, the Israelites learned to stop along the journey. You remember from time to time, they would, they would take rocks and they would, would build an altar and they would give thanks. They would remember how they had become uh, seemingly very aware of God's presence in their lives and what God was doing for them. They would place these stones together as an altar to the Lord to remember all the things that he had done for them. They would bring a special offering and a sacrifice as a way of saying thank you, ev karisto, to God for his protection and for his provision. And one of the leaders of their family would stand up and he would recite in detail the record of God's providence over this long history that lay behind them. At times, they would gather all the tribes together from the various parts, and they would hold a feast, 
at which God was named the honored guest, and that everyone would go around the table and exclaim how good, how glorious God was. So in these various ways, they'd be reminded, as hard as life can be, that they were richly blessed people. And they'd remember that they had gotten this far on life's journey, not by their own genius, not by their own intellect, not by their own sweat, but by the grace of God. The first several times I went to Africa, I would ask someone, how are you doing? Or, or ask about their work, and they would say, oh, we are doing well by his grace. The work is going tremendously by his grace. They always put that on there. And it, and it seemed like at first it was just sort of a kind of a tag that they just kind of became accustomed to. But as I've been there so many times now, I, I truly believe, and I believe with all of my heart, that's exactly what they mean. That this is only happening by the grace of God, not because of us. And they work hard. I mean, they work really hard. But it's not by our merit, it's not by the sweat of our brow, but it's by his grace that these things are happening. The Israelites would get clear all over again that, that God had been profoundly active for good along their journey. And that there was every reason to believe that if they remained faithful to, the him, to him, that they would continue to have more blessings upon the journey. I want us to read the remainder of 1 Chronicles chapter 16 together. And if you will, I'd like for us to stand as a congregation. We're not going to read responsibly, but we're going to read this to the Lord as we think about how thankful we are to him. This is the word of the Lord, 1 Chronicles chapter 16. Read with me. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Proclaim his salvation day after day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous deeds among all peoples. For great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the nations are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and joy are in his dwelling place. Ascribe to the Lord, all you families of nations. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come before him. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. The world is firmly established. It cannot be moved. Let the heavens rejoice. Let the earth be glad. Let them say among the nations, The Lord reigns. Let the sea resound and all that is in it. Let the fields be jubilant and everything in them. Let the trees of the forest sing. Let them sing for joy before the Lord. For he comes to judge the earth. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Cry out, save us, God our Savior. Gather us and deliver us from the nations, that we may give thanks to your holy name and glory in your praise. 
Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Be seated, please. And then the end of that verse says, Then all the people said, Amen, and praise the Lord. So say that with me. Amen. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Can't get one by my brother Landon. Do you see a little bit better now where this tradition of Thanksgiving we're celebrating this week comes from? It was from the example of these ancient Israelites that our forefathers learned uh, this pattern, uh, if you will, and this example that we now celebrate this week called Thanksgiving. Fleeing persecution in the land of England, there were 110 pilgrims who made the journey, who crossed the sea. They faced many challenges. Uh, if you know your history, half of their number died of cold, died of disease and malnutrition that first hard winter that they were here. And I'm sure it raised a lot of serious questions about God and about his providence. Why? Why are these things happening? But those who survived that first winter immediately set about trying to build better uh, shelter, better structures, better houses. They began to try to cultivate the land so that they could grow food. The challenges were so great that there was hardly any time for a pause in the daily struggle. And we know from history that many of them gave up hope. There were those who got back on the ship and were about to set sail back to Europe when they saw another boat coming into the harbor. And they were sort of bolstered and invigorated because that boat was full of medic medical supplies and food. So they stayed. Somehow they persevered. And as the second winter crept in, uh, their governor, William Bradford, he proclaimed that on November the 29th, 1621, that the colonists should cease their striving, gather as a community, and, if you will, raise an exclamation of thanksgiving to God. It has been a little over 400 years ago that day in Plymouth, Massachusetts. And it's been some 3,000 years ago since that day in Jerusalem that we just read from. But the capacity of God's people to handle with courage and to handle with wisdom the great questions about our daily struggles, those inevitable periods when hope seems finished, all of this comes and stems from our relationship with a good and a mighty God. So here's my invitation to you. When you go to your Thanksgiving table this week, bring a copy of the Bible with you, and I want you to read aloud from 1 Chronicles 16. We just read that. We almost read it in its entirety. We, we did skip a few verses. But I want you to, to bring a Bible, read 1 Chronicles 16, go around the circle, if there's a circle, Maybe there's a rectangle or a square 
wherever how you're situated, go around that circle, and I want you to talk about which verses come alive to you, which verses really speak to you. And then I want you to share with one another an exclamation of gratitude to God, of thanksgiving to him for the gift of life on this remarkable planet, for the people that you love and for the people that love you. I want you to give thanks for your mentors, for your role models, for the abilities, for the talents, and for the resources that God has entrusted to you. I want you to give thanks for his word that guides you, for his Holy Spirit that lives inside of you. I want you to give thanks for the grace that forgives you. And I want you to give thanks for the mercy that sustains you, for his eternal arms that await you. And then give thanks for just whatever else comes to your mind, anything else you can think about. Just stop this week on Thursday and give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Let's pray. Our God and our Father, you are an amazing and wonderful God. Father, I pray that this morning as we have gathered together, as we've celebrated um, around your table, and as we celebrate around tables this week, various parts of, of our state and the city and even the country, that we will pause and we will remember how good you are to us, how thankful we are, not just, not just because we have a big meal in front of us, but because you have blessed us with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Father, we think so much about the here and the now and about the physical, but Father, I pray that we will turn our our thoughts and our minds about things above, where you live, where you dwell, where Christ is seated at your right hand, and give you thanks for all those invisible things that we cannot see or touch or handle, but yet are so important for our eternal lives. Father, I thank you for this church here in this place, for the love that exists, for the unity of the Spirit for the bond of peace. And I pray, Father, that those will grow stronger, that our love for each other will grow stronger, and, and our love for you every day. Father, bless us as we return thanks to you. This we pray in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen.